So I'll start by saying this. Many of us live our lives a lot online these days, whether it's through connecting with family or friends on social media or getting news updates from apps or watching streamers or YouTubes in place of television. The internet has become, for some of us, an indispensable part of our lives. Endless problems arise from the constant extension of our hands that is smartphones, tablets, computers, and internet connection, of course. And one of them is our topic for today. So the question that we're addressing today is this. What do you do when the conspiracy theory really seems true? Yeah. What do you do when the conspiracy... Thank you. I, in all honesty, I submitted this question. I did. Through constant conversations with, with many of you, as well as people in my life and in circles that I'm in online, I, I was thinking, man, the church needs to hear a sermon that, that addresses this. And while I, complete honesty, while I was writing this sermon, I was wishing I hadn't asked it. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was probably, uh, in a moment of vulnerability, this was probably one of the most stressful, frustrating warfare wrestling sermons for me to have written that I can think about. And uh, I'm excited today to give us what I think the Holy Spirit has for us today. Um, and so come with me on this journey. Uh, will you pray with me, please? Lord, we take time and we slow down and we breathe in your presence. Thank you for being a good father who takes care of us, a good father who protects us, who makes us safe. Like Leasa prayed, thank you for the strength we need and the courage to move. Courage to move when you say to move. Stay when you stay to, say to stay. As we look at your word, as we listen to your words, as I stand in your pulpit talking to your people, Lord, would you please have your way in this community? Amen. Continue making us into ever-increasing reflections of you. Mirrors that reflect you better day after day after day. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So, our sermon title for today is uh, Humanity's Truest Expression. And we'll be in two, two main uh, Bible passages for today. Just as a disclaimer, any conspiracies that like, make their way into my talking about them today, I don't endorse a one. I just bring them up as examples. And if you think I skipped one or if you think I shouldn't have talked about that one, come talk to me or actually find Chase and <laughs> uh, But anyway, I don't endorse these, but there will be some that come up. Um, okay, to get our minds on track, to get us thinking about kind of what I want to think about, I have like a fun, harmless, completely fabricated conspiracy theory that is just my favorite one, okay? And it's at the end of the first Indiana Jones movie, right? So if you guys know Raiders of the Lost Ark, Harrison Ford when he's, you know, in the 80s, early 80s, and the movie is about discovering the lost Ark of the Covenant. Like, supposedly, it wasn't, like, destroyed. It was hidden. It was buried somewhere in the desert. And the movie is the story of them finding it. Spoilers if you haven't seen that. Uh, some people haven't. But uh, the movie is about finding the Ark of the Covenant. 
At the end of the movie, uh, like one of the last two scenes, it's an it's a unforgettable scene. Um, they take the lid off the Ark of the Covenant and find it's only sand inside. And then, the, like, assumedly, like the Spirit of God or something whips through the place and it's a bunch of Nazis trying to, like, take it. You should watch it if you haven't seen it. But it's a classic movie, of course. We've seen it. Uh, the Spirit of God basically like melts the faces off all these people who looked in the Ark of the Covenant. And only two people who were there were smart enough to close their eyes and live to tell the tale, right? So now somebody has to do something with the Ark of the Covenant. It gets turned over to the U.S. government. And uh, here I wrote it down this way because I don't want to say it wrong. The last thing we see is a worker nailing the lid on the crate where the Ark of the Covenant is, like a big, you know, um, indescript like crate, right? Uh, he's in the equivalent of Area 51, uh, like a secret government storage facility out in the desert, like out, out somewhere in Nevada or something. He pushes the cart on like this rolling cart uh, in an enormous warehouse full of thousands and thousands of these, these giant crates that like, like a, a fridge would fit in or like a couch. Thousands are in this place. And he turns a corner and presumably the ark will never be seen again. Like the government will stack it away. The conspiracy here could be that the government is keeping secret all these, you know, priceless artifacts and complete uh, expressions of power in the world. Maybe they're keeping it from the nefarious actors, right? Whatever it means, it's completely made up. You know, no one would find the Ark of the Covenant again until maybe a later movie, right? <laughs> Thanks. Conspiracy theories may be completely harmless or openly racist or everything in between, right? Whether they're about the, the lost cities of Atlantis or El Dorado, really good Disney movies, by the way, the true origin of the pyramids, or uh, maybe they're even unfit for discussing in, uh, like in polite presence, like in, uh, what's my word here, in decent company. They're not like, you probably shouldn't talk about that in decent company, right? Um, taking the breath out of everyone in the room. Just mention the name of Jeffrey Epstein, and all of our minds go turning and turning and turning. Who, what's, what's going on there? There's something, be, there's something there. Conspiracy theories have come to take a large hold on our lives, and I think the Bible has a lot to say about them. So my main points uh, are this. Conspiracy theories point to many things that God calls good. Conspiracy theories point to many things that God calls good. There was a time in my life when I was preparing for ministry and someone in my life that um, thought they had a lot to say told me, yo, Ben, you'd make a terrible pastor. You need to quit this. And I actually I talked to my mentor and I was like, how, like, this is terrible. How could someone say this to me? I've spent my whole life trying to be good at this. And my mentor said, take a minute and think about what's true. Think about what's tr what could be true about what this person said. And I've left out a lot of details. But that's my goal for today is that I don't want to just, you know, smash all conspiracy theories and say, no, 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 don't look at them. Don't think. I don't want that for us. I don't think that's a healthy way to interact with the world for us. I think we can take time to look at many of the things they point to which God called good. So we'll start out on page one or maybe page two of the Bible in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. I'll read a few verses now. And I've got the NIV, but verses are on the screen if, um, if you don't have them. 
Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created As creations of God, we are endowed with his creative power that emulates his creativity in the world, right? God did a weird thing when he made humanity. He said he wasn't to be worshipped with idols, with, with graven images, because the people he made are his image. The people he made are the little statues of him in the world. And if they're truly obeying him, if they're expressing humanity truly, they will emulate his creativity in the world. So this means uh, that we, uh, I'll say more of it later, we are meaning-making machines. That's my, we are meaning-making machines. We are churning out meaning, and that's how we show God to the world. That's one of the ways we show God to the world. We can read the rest of the passage now. God has endowed us with his creative power, and he gives us a job to do. Verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The next verses talk about the completion of the creation of the universe, when God instilled rest into it, which is a different sermon. But God, who made everything, didn't need to rest, but he chose to, and that should mean something for us. But anyway, uh, anyway, This is very good. Our meaning-making capacity is very good. Our ability to make meaning is one way we show God to the world. Every human, not just Christians, has this capacity. And like Chase was saying recently, the difference is that our relationship uh, and our purpose guides us to do God's will. That's what makes it different for us when we have the Spirit indwelling, we're obeying God, we're looking for Him. God created us to be meaning-making machines. And I mean machines in the sense of incredible output, not like thoughtless or you know, lacking free will. You can check out last, sermon, last week's sermon about that free will thing because Chase preached about that. Um, but God, here's the good thing that create, uh, conspiracy theories point to, right? He gave us creative interpretive ability and told us to use it. The next good thing that God, or that conspiracy theories point to that is good is that they usually have a kernel of truth and they build up a whole belief system around themselves. Right? This isn't to say that Christians can't or don't contribute to them, because we see this all the time. Um, often there are many ins and outs to more complicated conspiracy theories that contain truth along with misunderstandings, or else just straight-up falsehoods. The truth is worth discerning and repeating. That's the good that they point to. They want to speak the truth about the world we see, point it out, call it out, make it right. The truth is worth discerning and repeating. 
It is good for us to be able to help our fam family and friends and church family to dissolve the lies that might surround uh, some bit of truth and render it useful but harmless. As Christians, we shouldn't be afraid to engage with the ideas of the world, conspiracy or not. Someone with the Holy Spirit being in any room makes a difference on what is going on in the room. Amen. But, what, but whether the Holy Spirit indwelled Christian is there or not, conspiracy theories usually tell something of the truth. The problem is that it's usually embedded deep in lies or misinformation. For a good example, the idea that our government may have you know, hidden the Ark of the Covenant in Area 51, engaging in nefarious actions in the world, it may or may not even be provable. I don't, I don't think they found the Ark of the Covenant and hid it. I don't think that's how it works. I don't think it would melt your face. I don't know what God would do. But that, that one's absurd, right? But the idea that maybe our government could have finagled this, this other government in a foreign country to fall or to be desperate for some sort of... A little more believable, right? Possibly. I'm not endorsing anything, but it's a little more possible that it could be true. The truth in that is that some people have power in our government that isn't appropriately checked. I think of the Jason Bourne series, right, where there's like a hidden shadow assassins club where they're, they don't even really know, right? And that's the whole point of that story is that he doesn't even know he's an assassin until he's activated. And it's a huge action movie and a lot of... That's a good movie, too. Um, <laughs> I'm just giving all my movie recs today. Okay. Um, the truth in there is that someone has power that isn't appropriately checked, and thus they've gained a horrible reputation for being untrustworthy. That's a thing we should point out. That's a thing we should talk about. No, they're not really hiding the Ark of the Covenant, but something is possible. The third good thing that conspiracy theories point to is that they offer community to their adherents. They offer community a sense of tribalism or shared identity with the people who agree with them. This is kind of the, like my main thing for today. Wherever a tribe is formed, the people inside will begin to act as a group. Uh, they'll get angry at similar things. They'll focus on similar problems. Uh, they share goals and identity. People love to move and be moved as a whole, as part of a bigger thing as buying into a community that's bigger than themselves. Whether that's pointed at Jesus or pointed at ending trafficking through violence or something, that, that obviously changes a lot about where they will go, what they will focus on, who's in, who's out. Tribes form around shared identities, and that's a good thing. The reason a community forms has a lot to do with the trajectory that it'll go on. If it forms around fear, anger, or self-protection, the bonds among the group will be stronger. The group itself could be more unstable or unruly. I want to point to the good while calling out the bad. That's my point today. By contrast, uh, which we'll talk about much more uh, for the rest of the time today, a community that's formed around love, family, mutuality, and godliness uh, will usually trend to look like church is supposed to look like. Not just showing up in your nice clothes on Sunday, but Solving problems in your community on Tuesday night and showing up Friday morning for the shower truck uh, that Christina's been hosting all the time. That's every other Friday in the morning. There's a shower truck that comes here for people who uh, don't have a place to shower. They come, shower, and hang out, get some food or something. Um, if you're interested, in, talk to Christina about that. I don't see her in the room right now, but 
she does that all the time. Like problems in your community need solving and they need people's hands to work on them, right? Uh, I listen to this weekly podcast where uh, there's often conspiracy theories as the main topic. Um, it, I really like to keep up with it because I want to understand where a lot of Christians are coming from in this like, current cultural moment. The host will have solo episodes as well as episodes where they interview, interview people. And he often refers to himself as like you, the audience, and to himself as normies. Right? These are people who, we're just, we're just regular normies. We take life as it is. We don't need any of that intellectual garbage that's going to trick us and get, make us confused anyway. We know God. We know life. We take it as it is, and we're normies. Right? And these are, uh, these are set against the elites, the people who uh, are in political power or in cultural power in terms of celebrities or something. That their enemy is the elites, and we're not supposed to like each other anyway, right? As a joke. Um, the, the identity marker for being a normie is just to take life as you see it. The normies are often considered stupid by the powerful enemies or by the elites. Essentially, what that host has grabbed onto is another good thing that comes from conspiracy theories, that there is connection and community when you find a tribe to belong to. Collective care, love, and protection benefits anyone under the umbrella of those who participate in communities like that. And so here is my whole point. My whole point that I need you to walk away with today is that you are already given to a community. Amen. You are already given to a community as a follower of Christ. I'm sure this isn't new if you've been a Christian for more than five minutes. We embody a redeemed way of living together in mutual love and submission to the teachings of Jesus. This community life did take up most of the lives of those early Christians uh, that we see in the New Testament. Not to say that we need to copy them dot for dot, but something about their devotion to the Lord, the amount of life that they devoted to their church family, it's weird for someone standing on a pulpit to like preach about, you know, giving more of yourself to the church. I don't mean to like say show up and help me. I just mean like the thing we're called to, like this, these are the words on the page. It's a much more embodied community than one we typically find when we show up Sunday, leave Sunday, show up Sunday, leave Sunday, show up Sunday, leave Sunday, and don't do anything in between. I consider having dinner with the same family at church twice in one week. Whoa, don't just like do it once a month and pretend you're going to have it and then you cancel it three weeks. And now it's suddenly been two months and I actually have a few families like that for myself here. Consider having lunch a lot of times. Consider living your lives together and embodying this community. It will be a better time. The second passage for today is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. So I'll read a few verses now and we'll talk about them. All right. Ephesians 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Quick side note, completely unrelated to what we're talking about today, but that verse 11 
makes up like the biblical basis for the heart gifts of spiritual gifts, which uh, Pastor Chase wrote his first book about. So that book came out two weeks ago and it's called Seamless. And I just get to plug Chase because I have the microphone. And um, yeah, so yeah, so proud of Chase for writing that book. It's amazing. I don't know how he did it. Um, You can get that at an independent bookstore. Anyway, it's called Seamless and it's wonderful. So back to what we were talking about. Um, Several points stick out as we develop our line of thinking uh, along this community gathering sort of uh, way of being. We are called to do acts of service. We are called to unity and faith and knowledge of Jesus. Unity and faith and unity and knowledge of Jesus is central to what our community gathers around. That's not something we usually give lip service to even, um, much less like organized church attention to. We often talk about unity in the faith, but we don't often talk about seeing Jesus the same way, getting to know Christ more together. That's like what community is for. That's what it is. So we're called to that uh, service, unity in faith and knowledge of Jesus. And in this way, we show off Jesus to the world because we look like Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 13, 35, that the world will know you are my my disciples when you love one another. I didn't have a slide for it. Sorry, team. Um, The world will know you are my disciples when you love one another. Like this is the whole thing that we do. We gather around love and submission to Jesus. Let's read the rest of the verses. 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We are given to community for love and connection. We will have the wisdom when we submit ourselves to Jesus in this way. The first point that it points to is we will have the wisdom to avoid not only like bad theological teaching like this passage's self is concerned with, but also general trickery and mistaken teachings, being able to dismiss absurd arguments or ridiculous YouTube videos or TikToks or articles or whatever have you. We'll be able to ask Lord for wisdom and be able to say, mm, I don't know about that, and maybe ask someone you, you know and love. But the manner in which we guide and correct each other matters. That's the truth in love thing. And the body of Christ will grow by our love and cooperation with one another. Not to say, I mean, it's good when it grows wider, but the point is to grow taller. It's good when it grows wider, but the point is to grow taller. We are given to community for love and connection with other believers. The whole joy of the human project that God laid out in his world and called very good, the whole point of it is to celebrate his creation, to take care of it. Solving problems together, learning about and worshiping God together, applying the gifts we have been given to the world that we see. We are humanity's truest expression when this system is up and running. I think a big problem comes in when we think we can make the whole world be just a few taps away on the smartphones we're all glued to. 
The world becomes too big for you. You are posed with problems that your God-given imageness is overwhelmed with. It doesn't matter how big your desire is to end all human sex trafficking. You're going to spend a lifetime of work with thousands of others just to get the government to pass a law that might help. This isn't to say that it's not worth doing. I'm not saying to walk away from what God has called you to. But it's so much bigger than any of us think we have the attention span to do. We might watch a movie where a guy will quit his job and run to the other country and save these kids that we deemed are not worth saving and he'll bring them back and he'll... That doesn't, like, if God's calling you to do that, like, don't listen to me. But the, don't, we don't do that. You're called to solve the problems in front of you, not the problems that someone, a stranger on the internet has whipped you up about, right? <laughs> Again, I, please hear me. It's not to say that ending trafficking is not worth doing. I just mean that the New Testament is concerned not with law change, but with mutuality, service, and love, and applying that in a real way that you can make a real difference. I want to take a minute to have a case study uh, about a conspiracy theory as an example of how far these ideas can take you, right? So this one, maybe you've heard about it. It's called Pizzagate. Maybe, all right? It, right? That was like... <laughs> If you take three elements, right, two of the good ones we've talked about today and one bad one, which are the good value of saving children from trafficking, right, that's a good thing, we should put an end to that in the world. Two, our capacity for creating meaning, our meaning-making machineness that God gave us and called good. If you take those two things and you put a million people online in chat rooms to interpret public actions of certain celebrities and politicians and read into what they're saying, you would arrive with this conspiracy theory that supposedly there is a, like, here, let me, I wrote the words down carefully, right? There's this hidden group of powerful politicians and celebrities using the basement of a pizza place in Washington, D.C. as their base for human trafficking. Wanting to protect innocent children is a good value. Wanting to uh, create meaning is something called God called very good. But mixed with the foolishness of the world around us, it causes us to act outside the will of God to get things done. And truly, someone did. Someone did do that. Like in 2017, a guy showed up there with a gun to blow the lid off this cabal, right? He got arrested and he spent four years in prison and there's no basement. There's no basement. There's no basement at the pizza place, okay? The good value of wanting to help kids, the good value of showing meaning to the things in our lives, mixed with our way of doing things, leads us to do foolish things. The guy, it was in 2017, he spent uh, four years in prison and he's out. Like, he got out during COVID. Here's my point, right? Conspiracy theories point to several good things, but we have to give them to Christ to let him redeem them. That's really the point I need you to walk away with. We, while we give everything to Christ to let him redeem everything about the ways we see things in the world, this one's no different. I have a few applications, just ideas of something that we can maybe submit to or learn about or think about and consider and maybe reject. Here's the first one. Don't just believe everything you read on the internet. Right? It's probably one of the, 
one of the quicker ways in your life to have fewer conspiracy theories in it. Proverbs 12, verses 18 and 19 are helpful with this. I won't talk about, I won't read those verses, but you can look them up yourself. After some time passes, we will see what ended up being a lie and properly reject it. But we have great respect for people through history who have always told the truth. The next one I have is, if you're ever more than four videos deep, take a break. Okay? Four videos. That's four. We, I brought this up uh, the other week at Bible study, and that was the number we decided on. If you suddenly wake up, or, uh, wake up and realize you've been four videos deep, take a break. See some grass. Look at the sidewalk. <laughs> think, think about what you've learned so far and whether you'll accept it or reject it. I'm not saying just quit thinking about it at all. I just mean don't let, you know, uh, an algorithm that's trained to, like, get you to watch more ads, right? That one's not a conspiracy. Um, <laughs> there's a documentary called, uh, what's it called? Oh, man, I shouldn't have done this if I didn't remember the name. It's on Netflix. Social Dilemma. Thank you, team. All right, check that one out. Um, that one's not a conspiracy. Like, the people who made up Facebook and Twitter were like, yeah, we tried to make it more addictive so people would look at more ads. The things are designed to keep you sucked in. After four, give it a break. Uh, the next one I could do is to say, concern yourself less with online rabbit trails and work to solve problems in your community. I'm not saying, again, I'll never say to ignore God if that's what he's telling you to do. Uh, but the Christian calling is to the people you can see. Not to shadow governments working on the new world order, right? In a very real way, many Christians, maybe even some of us, have been convinced of terrified and evil powers behind the scenes of everyday life, plotting to destroy our way of living. Uh, and even that kind of has a kernel of truth to it, but it's too much for this morning. It calls up the language of Ephesians. It's actually loaded with this spiritual powers language, and you could check out the Spirit Realm series that we had last year that talked about this, or ask me more later if you want. But if you're not focused on strangers on the internet whipping you up, you can see that people in this zip code would like to be clean more often, and they have no way. So what do we do? I talk, here, Christina's back. What do we do? We, someone else starts a shower truck, and we host them here. And maybe volunteers help and make connections, and those people have a better day. And that's what it means to be Jesus in front of people, right? So... I just want to end with this last image, right? We all know the difference between standing on a sandy shore and standing on a giant rock near the edge of the water. My family always used to vacation in Caseville on the east side of the state. And there's this break wall at the main beach in Caseville, and we'd go out on the break wall and look at the water. It's like a cement path, and there's big, big rocks like a few feet down to just kind of, it's a wall to like break the big waves so the beach, you know, kids at the beach don't get knocked over by waves as often. Right, uh, we'd all go down from the path to the big rocks that they placed there. And you could tell that no matter how big the wave was that was coming, no water was going to wash that rock away. No water is going to take that rock from exactly where someone put it. For maybe hundreds of years, no matter what comes or goes, that rock is exactly where it was put. So it breaks the waves and the little kids don't get knocked over, right? 
How much more firm is Jesus? How much more solid and steady and trustworthy is our Savior? To grow in Christ together is to move out from behind that break wall, to follow Christ where he leads us, to be steady like him. But first, we have to trust that he's not going anywhere. At the end of all this, my heart's plea to anyone who would hear my voice is this. Don't just trust in the platform of your favorite conspiracy influencer. Trust in Jesus and join his project in the world. Join me in praying. Lord, teach us how to be like you. Lord, please make us look the way you want us to look. Knit our community together the way you say you do. The way you've done in past generations of followers of you. Thank you for your word. Make it effective among your people. And be with us this week as we go. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.